features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives, as well as industry thought leaders on relevant community banking topics. If you are the CEO or would like to be an executive someday, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we've got a very interesting topic. We're talking banking as a service. And for those of you who are uh, not terribly familiar with this, it's just, uh, to me, a fascinating concept because it serves as both a threat and an opportunity to our community bank listeners. So we've got an expert that has joined us before, uh, Joshua Jordan from Jack Henry. And uh, Joshua will take us through some of the ins and outs of banking as a service. Whether you've never heard the term before or are somewhat familiar with it, I think you'll find some value in this episode. So let's get started. Hey, Josh, I wanted to welcome you back to Bank Talk. Why, thank you for having me. Appreciate being here. Does this feel like deja vu to you? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. We talk a lot, it seems like. (laughs) And I say that uh, because, uh, you know, for those of you who are listening, uh, Josh and I already did this. Uh, It's just that technology got in our way. Normally, we would uh, make it a little smoother on this podcast, but because, you know, technology and the coming off a pandemic where everybody's got different technology challenges to work from home. I I just thought it was kind of hilarious that we're redoing a section that uh, whether it was one of our providers or somebody, somebody decided that this wasn't going to happen. So (laughs) (laughs) we're having a conversation over, hopefully we can patch it together in a way that there you go. Podcast. Okay. So Josh, today we're going to talk about banking as a service. I think most of our listeners have probably heard of software as a service, you know, that being, (laughs) where at one point you used to host your core, let's say, as an example, inside your institution's walls. At, at a certain point, that migrated out, and now it, it is a, you pay by the month for a service that is hosted somewhere else in general, right? Mm-hmm. Banking as a service, now that might be a terrible example, but could you define the way you think about banking as a service? And, uh, you know, what does that mean? And I I know it's a term that's probably overused. Give me your definition of banking as a service. Yeah, I agree with you. It is a term that's probably overused because there's probably a misconception about what true banking as a service is. True to life uh, technical definition of that is really renting space within your core, renting, you know, your section of your GL more or less to a fintech, you know, to a software or a UI provider of some regard. For them to basically house bank accounts on your core, you know, and and leaning on you as the the banking body with uh, all of the regulatory approvals that you have, your charter, your FDIC insurance, all of those things, and then them being more or less more or less the face to the end user to the customer of that. He's saying, okay, we'll provide the UI. We're going to have a I'm going to use a terrible example here as well, but it's a Starbucks card. We're going to have a Starbucks gift card or a Starbucks app, and we're going to have the Starbucks relationship. We need to house these funds somewhere. So Mr. and Mrs. Bank, we're going to use your GL to house those funds, but we'll handle everything else. We're going to be the face. Starbucks is the face of this. That's what I would call the, the true to life definition. Now, it probably blurs a little bit of a line 
with what we know as you know embedded banking or or open banking, and that's where people kind of maybe have a misconception about banking as a service where we're bringing the customer to the bank and being the bank has control of the UI and the customer relationship. And we're just bringing those fintech partnerships into it, into that that bank's UI. That's kind of the open banking or embedded banking versus the true just renting your rails and you're just, you're just housing deposits at that point almost. Yeah, that's a great definition. So I'm going to reiterate what you said just to make sure that I've got it right in my head. So what the the space that we covered in a previous podcast was one of these fintechs that has kind of gone down this path and, and seems to have an awful lot of customers and they did it by riding these rails that we're talking about. So they've they've rented the space from somebody and they've kind of gone down the path of using that space to, and I, I believe that most of these fintechs, if they're smaller or if they want to be big someday, they're doing this to speed up their business model. Right. In other words, if you're going to wait around for regulatory approval to get all this done as a financial institution, bank or a credit union, you might add three years of your business plan. Am I am I thinking about that right? Is that why this has become a popular thing? Absolutely. I mean, uh, not just the speed to market, but also there's you know that that regulatory there's the regulatory burden um, along with that because not only do you have to if you are wait, waiting for that type of uh, approval to to house that or get a charter, then you have to functionally double your infrastructure um, and have a staff or have a, an infrastructure in place to support the regulatory body associated with owning those deposits and maintaining those. It's not just a lift from a time perspective, which is a very big concern when you talk about technology. It's also a big lift from a just an overhead perspective. Okay. That's, that's a really good opinion. I, I appreciate the way you put that. So if a client approaches Jack Henry about a relationship like this, who's coming to you, the, the fintech or the bank? That is your current, you know, the bank being your current customer, if we use one of those as an example. Yeah. Well, both both have the ability to, I would say, but in more cases than not, we at Jack Henry are working closely with the fintechs to kind of do the inverse of true banking as a service, to actually kind of have the embedded banking approach or the, the open banking approach. We have been approached. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, conversations in the past with uh, with fintechs that, you know, are looking for deposit partners that are simply deposit partners, kind of in a true banking as a service. The community bank space is, is uh, there's a lot of hesitancy there and, and for good reason. Talked about this before, but there's a lot of hesitancy because of the loss of control of the UI or the loss of control of contact with the customer when those types of banking as a service relationships. So it's usually refer, uh, a reserved, I should say, for your, your you know, super regionals or your mega banks, you know, your chases, your wells, your, your capital ones, those that not only are they have a big enough brand that they can maintain and, and, and still enjoy that contact with the customer and not really feel an interruption there. But also rent part of their rails to uh, you know a Starbucks and, and have those both the relationships running simultaneously. If you think about the scope of a community FI, whether that's a bank or a credit union, that's they kind of have to pick almost what they're going to have there. They don't have a you know overhead infrastructure staff. There's just a lot to consider when you're trying to create that type of a relationship and still maintain your footprint as a as a community FI that's really in touch and you know concerned about your customers and your community. So I wanted to step back on something you said previously. You had identified sort of the two ways to get this done. Number one, you rent your space to a fintech. Number two, when you think about this open banking, I wanted to I wanted to reiterate what you said there because for those of so those of our listeners who aren't technical or uh, technology type folks, this may be you know this may be a, a model they haven't seen before. In that relationship, 
the way that that works, you would have full control of the UI. You're the you're the bank. You have a let's say as an example, you have an online only version of a bank, right? Or or just your online presence to your customers. In a scenario where you might embed a widget inside your user experience, that type of a fintech is one that you may need another service, a subservice within your e-com or mobile experience. And that's the relationship you're talking about when you're talking about the open banking. Did I way oversimplify that? No, I mean, that's a great, I mean, that's a great way to look at it from a simplification standpoint is, is to say, we as a bank or, or an FI of any kind, really a credit union or a bank, we offer these set of services, you know, typically deposits, lending, you know, card services, those types of things. We offer a subset of services. What's becoming popular, and as you and I talked in our, our last podcast about digital banking and adoption, what's really becoming popular is things like financial wellness, embedding other services on top of just the deposit loan types of relationships. And that's where the Venmos of the world, you know, the Square Cash cash app of the world, that's where they're so successful. They're offering all of these other things right next door to your deposit relationship. You know, that's why Chime is very successful. And so that's what this open banking concept is, is saying you have the services you offer today. You have your UI, your your, your digital experience that you're connecting to your customers. Let's add on to that a service that you don't provide that a, a fintech has created, like financial wellness, maybe a credit scoring uh, opportunity, maybe the ability to buy or sell, you know, and hold crypto on your platform. Things that you probably aren't going to build, things that in a lot of cases your core provider doesn't offer or is not going to build, but a fintech has built and wants to partner. It's a kind of a win-win strategy at that point because they get the idea of, of being inside of your embedded experience. So they have access to all of your customers. And then you have, of course, the benefit of offering yet another service, you know, and the potential for non-interest income, um, which everybody loves non-interest income. That's absolutely correct. Back. So thank you for that, because I think it was a great definition of helping our, our listeners understand the difference between those two models. I'm going to step back now to, to what we kind of decided to talk about, which is let's, mm-hmm. let's look at that concept of renting your space. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about that, the way I think about this is if, if you're a fintech or if you're a bank that wants to start up an online-only presence, in either of those models... What we're talking about is we're talking about a mobile or an e-com app talking to your GL, right? Talking to your core. And, and as we, you know, as we have those conversations, it, I, to me, it, a lot of it comes down to, you know, what we used to think of as an, an API, right? An application uh, protocol interface, you know, uh, might be known as an SDK, right? The software development kit. But whether you call it an API or an SDK, that's the layer of communication between whomever decided to own the user experience, the mobile app or the, or the e-com, and the guts, right? The infrastructure, the core. Am I thinking about that right? Is that API, do I think about that API correctly or is there, is there a different way to think about that? No, no, in this arrangement, that's exactly the, the proper way to think about it. That's just basically your way to pass that data to, to connect those two worlds. You know, whether it's your own digital or it's a, you know, the digital that you're renting your rails to, you're passing that through an integration layer, uh, which t- in today's world, you know, those integration layers uh, are most commonly APIs. Uh, they're the easiest to work with, the ability to pass the most data, uh, the most open to be able to uh, you know, customize that experience, the, the passing of that data. So that's really the, the best way to think about that. Okay. And here's, here's where I was going with that, is that 
if you if you want to spin up a, a uh, online only type of an institution, you could use your core provider's e-commerce experience and just relabel it, right? Rebrand it. Mm-hmm. You could develop your own and create these APIs back to your core. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure there's probably some fintechs out there that would be happy to white label something for you so that you have a different user experience. But in all cases, you're tied back through that API to the core. So I, I guess my, my point with it is this. It seems like those APIs, which used to be fairly closed in the core business, again, just having a few years in core experience myself, core providers didn't want to open them up all that much. Is that changing? We are seeing that shift a bit. The big, uh, I would say, challenge that most core providers are experiencing with that is just about every major core that's out there in the marketplace today. You know, there's there's what are commonly known as the big three, and then there's several other players in the marketplace now. But all of their cores functionally were developed before the internet, so before they needed to have that type of flexibility and, and openness. So what they're doing now uh, is building on top of that abilities to connect with APIs, and so it's really how open was the core in the first place? You know, how, how forward thinking was, you know, the staff in the eighties <laughs> really who was, who was building out this core and writing code. And, you know, as it had progressed in, through the nineties and the two thousands, how, how did they dynamically shift it? And then does that, that really leads to their strategy today? Do they have something they bolt on? Do they have something that's truly open or, you know, in a lot of course cases, uh, there's still fairly closed off and they're 100% in charge of any integration. So the core still or the core company, I should say, still owns all of those calls and says, you know, you come to us and we'll we'll do the stuff and then we'll tell you what we did, you know, versus uh-huh. a truly open where you just go, hey, here, here's what we have. Enjoy. Hopefully this two-way relationship works. Right. And I would say, again, we're probably getting too technical for a podcast, but I guess my point would be, for, you know, as you as you come up with your plans and whether that's a fintech trying to partner up with the bank or a bank trying to create their own online experience. I would probably caution that you have some understanding of what, you know, kind of what model are you going to follow first? And then secondly, you know, is the core that you're thinking of using for this open enough to be able to, you know, do whatever you want to do in the user experience? Yeah, I think in many cases, the ones that I've seen that are online only type relationships are using a, an app that comes along with the core. In other words, a, a mobile app an e-com app that's been developed by the core provider and just white labeled. Mm-hmm. So in which case you, you're not dealing with this API problem, right? It's already, it's already baked in there. It's already been done because otherwise the e-com experience that any of the banks with that core has uh, wouldn't be as good, right? I mean, the APIs are built between those two at a minimum. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, probably the biggest thing to look at when you're, if you're an FI, you know, again, credit union bank that's vetting out or considering this type of a relationship is not just, you know, how open is my digital, you know, how open is my core, you know, and how, how robust are those connections between digital and core? Because, you know, digital is going to be your, your connection to the customer, core is still the engine. So um, you have to have openness on both sides and the two between them connected and communicating well, like, like you just said, that's, that's why so many of those relationships are probably held at the core companies with their, whatever that core company's digital engagement is. So now let's, let's take it in just a slightly different direction. I think that one thing I was thinking about as we were talking about having this conversation, it, it kind of occurred to me that most 
community banks or credit unions are not going to be the provider to a fintech. But you and I had some conversation around sort of what to look out for in these fintechs and, and you know, what, what should be important to you as a, as a community credit union CEO or bank CEO? Because there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on at, in the trade publications. There's a lot going on, you know, just related to, look, these fintechs don't have a charter. We should be angry about that, right? We should do something regulatory. You know, we should, we should go to our, senate, our state senators or our, you know, uh, go to whomever we know, right, in the government to, to change that. I'm not sure that, you know, if I'm, if I'm sitting there as a community bank CEO, I don't know that I'm sitting there worried about that because there's some things you can control and there are some things you cannot. C- can we just talk a little bit about charters and, and you know, just how, how you think about those as it relates to, you know, I, we already talked about the fact that this, this fintech renting space from a bank speeds up their model. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, do you have any comments or thoughts on just, you know, this, this whole regulatory piece of this thing? Yeah, so there's uh, I'm kind of of two minds about this in the sense of a, of a you know, true charter or true bank or, or credit union definition in that sense. Of one is of course uh, that's the benefit for your fintech. You know, as I talked about earlier, which is they're using your charter, they're using your you know rails, your regulatory bodies, your FDIC, all, all of those things. They're using that from the the bank. Whether or not you know some of these these fintechs and you know other players in this market space get charters is certainly. I have opinions on, but probably well above my pay grade and <laughs> on whether they, we get really deep into that kind of uh, philosophical conversation. Sure. But I would say there's two, two ways that consumers end up looking at it. Because at, at the end of the day, that's, that's where your CEO's brain should be focused is on how the consumers react to this. How are my customers end up reacting to this? One thought of that is, do we really truly need a charter? A place like Venmo, an app like Venmo or, or Cash App from, from Square. They have all those tools you know, absent the charter. You know, they have that type of an environment to allow me to, to do my banking business more or less without that charter. They're missing some important features, though, that community institutions have. And that's really where I, I find, um, and I don't mean to sound doom and gloom, but there's that, that existential threat of those types of players renting space from a community FI, specifically a community FI, because those community FIs have the, the built-in strategic advantage of serving a community, of knowing their customers and having contact with those customers, having human contact, you know, personalized contact with those individuals, whether that's through a digital channel, whether that's over the phone, whether that's, you know, in branches as, you know, hopefully branches are starting to open up around the country now. Those are their biggest advantages that they have over not just the fintech partners and the Apples and the Googles of the world, but also your, your large mega banks, you know, your Chases and your Wells in the world. And so the concept then of this idea of banking as a service, you're basically letting in that competition and removing your single advantage or your biggest advantage, which is your contact to the customer, and you're giving that to somebody else. So short sight, it's probably, you know, oh, there's some income maybe that you get from that, from that rent, renting your rails. Long term, you're really, and I use the analogy, and, and again, you can laugh at me if you want to, if it's a terrible analogy, but you're, you're not only letting the enemy in the gate. Uh, you're putting them in charge of your armory because you're basically saying we're going to sacrifice our biggest advantage to have more deposit dollars inside or more lending relationships inside. You know, so where the the adverse of that is really the the big benefit to the um, to the community FI and maintaining that, in my opinion, the supremacy that the community FI has in the entire FI space. Because the fintechs are strictly an online model, never met the customer. They have to rely 
from a cross-sell perspective, and I think this is true of the large banks versus a community bank as well, they have to rely on AI, artificial intelligence, to try to determine who that customer is and what might be of interest to them when they're deciding you know, what services to provide them. The community bank has historically been just the opposite, which is I see Josh walking in my branch and I get to talk to him and find out what's going on in his life. And that helps me determine what he needs. Now, some at some point in the future, right, those two worlds are going to diverge. You know, we don't know which one's going to win yet. Right. You, mm-hmm. you know, if you read the pubs, the trade publications, you would believe that's going to be AI all day long. But I'll tell you this, you know, when I log in, I've got several bank relationships personally. When I go log into one of my credit cards, which is a, with a very large provider, I get pop-ups throughout that application every time I just want to go look at my balance. What can we offer you? Here's the thing we should be talking to you about, right? None of which so far in my world have I, I found to be a needed service. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting, and that is that is run on artificial intelligence, right? And and really, I would expect the same from a fintech who doesn't know the first thing about me, right? My Oddly, my credit card provider knows an awful lot about my purchase habits. I don't know if they have access to them, but they can't get it right. Like they don't, they're not, they're looking to, to try to cross sell me something. And, you know, I'm just not buying because it isn't the stuff that I'm interested in. So that's the threat of the fintech when you talk about a community bank. Is yeah, for sure. If, if their artificial intelligence is better than your walk in, talk to these people and know your customer, then you're, then you're doomed. Right, right, or at least at least you're going to lose business. No, and I, I agree with you in in that you know AI is getting better, and it will continue to. It's not going to you know go backwards. You know, it's certainly going to get better. It's going to get more intuitive. It's going to be able to be a, a better predictor of behavior and and you know anticipating things and being able to provide those services that aren't just ads thrown at you, you know, hoping one sticks, but really dynamic and really engaging and understanding your needs and and how you spend money, how you interact with money. And being able to provide that service, but at the end of the day, and, and this is going to you know sound—I don't want to say old-fashioned, but it's there's something that's funny in our minds. There's something that's interesting with our our relationship to finance, to money. It's, it's different than any other kind of technology that we deal with in the sense of social media or streaming services or you know uh, shopping online with Amazon, whatever it might be. When we're at the end of the day talking about our finances, our paycheck getting deposited into an account, our retirement planning, those types of things. There's a there's a, a level of mistrust in our psyche with a machine completely running that, you know, and so that's why community banks again the world's always in my opinion going to be a better place with them because there's still human beings working at them and still human beings to interact with at those institutions versus a full pure fintech that's full pure AI. It's going to provide a lot of great things in the future, but at the end of the day, do I really want to you know put my retirement planning in the hands of a, a machine? And right now, at least, you know, our society, even the youngest amongst our society, I'm, you know, my, my young kids, they don't want to do that yet. There's just still not quite that level of trust. Now, maybe someday when I'm old and gone, that level of trust will be there or forced upon us. Sure, but sure. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the end of the day, what the FI is, or the community FI is really has a big advantage in. Yeah. And I think that's probably true in all customer support. Dollars certainly, you know, the most emotional of the thing of things that you think about as a person, but, you know, whether that's in customer support or anything, eventually I want to talk to somebody and I want to talk Mm -hmm. to somebody that, you know, has time and can at least listen to the problem I have and then help me solve it. You know, not send me on to level two or send me on to level three, right? That always is a 
terrible experience. You know, I want to be able to walk mm-hmm. in, find somebody, look them in the eye, say, this is, this is what I'm trying to get done. And if they can't handle it, they pass me to their boss who I know can handle it. Right. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. still yep. a great experience. Always will be in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. You know, a FinTech experience is never going to solve for that, but, but, you know, there is a, this area of the population, I think that, you know, the fintechs are well, and I guess that's just the nature of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And now a word from our sponsors. As a preferred partner to community banks and credit unions, Remedy Consulting provides niche services with technology planning, vendor contract negotiations, and system selections. If your executive team is too busy with day-to-day operations or would like an assessment on your technology vendors, give us a call at 262-955-7776 or visit our website at remedyconsult.net. Okay, well, this has been great. Anything else, Josh, you want to add before we before we wrap this up? I, I mean, I think this has been very informational. I really appreciate your time on it. Absolutely. No, it's been my pleasure to be here. And, and again, you know, if, if you give you know, give me another two hours, I'd probably eat it all up. I think we learned that the last time we were together, we had to separate that one into two parts. So, I mean, I could certainly go on, but I, for my takeaways, at least, is probably a little, little bit of what I just said, which is, you know, understanding the, the threats there. And then also understanding the rest of the industry and how they're working with, you know, this this idea of fintech with, without a charter, more or less, because you, you have, have, you know, like PayPal and Venmo and Square's Cash App that are really doing the functional banking services with, without that that banking backing or that, that charter um, or that FDIC, um, and then how important is that to the their end users? You know, uh, to have that type of a banking bank backing or FDIC backing. And I think you know, at least if you read the tea leaves, there it's becoming less and less important. I think you know, move forward, and if they get to a point where they start to embed some of the services that we come to know from as community banking services, you know, personal touch, you know, on demand you know, human to human customer service, that's a real threat, a really real problem. So that's why I think this whole conversation we're having today with understanding this dynamic and this opportunity, I guess, inside of our in- industry to to either you know, rent our rails or, or kind of be that embedded fintech place. It's something that uh, I think every bank CEO, CFO, CTO should be paying attention to. That's great. Well, thank you again, once again, for your time. Uh, just great insights and really a uh, decent understanding of just how many flavors of this there are, you know, it's, it's, it's not always that simple, but, you know, hopefully we stuck to a couple of models that the listeners will understand. And I mean, I think we spent really good time understanding, you know, just uh, all the pieces and parts of those, those scenarios that we're talking about. So thanks again. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank Thanks for joining us on Bank Talk. So that's it for Bank Talk. Uh, thanks again to Josh for joining us, spending a little time educating us on banking as a service. I guess my thought on this is I find it fascinating, and I hope you do as well. Just a topic that's oh, that's on the cusp of things you, you as a banker or a credit union professional should know about this. So that's all for today. This is Charlie Kelly, your host for Bank Talk. Keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast. We want to share our congratulations with you for meeting the milestone of our 25th episode. If you are interested in reaching out to Joshua Jordan to learn more about banking as a service, he can be reached at jjordan at jackhenry.com. Thank you very much, and we will see you in the next episode.